Your foundation must be worthy of the building you plan to put on top of it. You can't have a big building on a small foundation. See, a lot of folk want God to do big things on a chicken coop foundation. Many couples want to get a divorce when they never poured a foundation. So no wonder when the storm comes, it blows the marriage over because you didn't pour a biblical foundation or a single a biblical foundation or, or any carry financially a biblical foundation whatever the issue is you never poured God's foundation and you wonder why you're being blown over by the circumstances that take place in our lives the point is simply this your foundation determines your future and your foundation is the word of God applied not just the word of God studied, heard or known until application hits, you will not see the intervention of God. So while you are waiting on God, I am waiting on God. He is waiting on us. He is waiting on the men to take their rightful place, to begin to dream dreams and to have visions that begin to apply and to say like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's waiting for men to pour the foundation on which everything else can stand. But then he's waiting on all believers to apply God's truth to their lives, whether they be male or female, to see God intervene. Whew. Mm. That is good stuff, man. That is good stuff. You know, three weeks ago, uh, I stood here in this place, and I, I showed a picture on the screen of, of my wife and some girlfriends. They were in Dallas three weeks ago. Uh, and they visited Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship and uh, met Dr. Tony Evans. This was the message they heard that day. Uh, and if you remember, I jokingly said that uh, when Blair got back uh, from Dallas, I was going to ask her all about the message uh, and, and that I would be preaching Tony Evans' same message the following week. Uh, that's, that's funny to me because... Uh, this message is talking about a foundation that is laid. Uh, Dr. Evans used Matthew 7. The, uh, he talked about a wise builder building a house on a solid foundation, a rock. Then he talked about uh, the foolish builder building house on the sand. I'm not preaching that message, but similarly, I am preaching this morning from 1 Corinthians 3 about a wise builder building up on the foundation that has already been laid. And I'm also preaching about an unwise builder building up on a foundation that's already laid. So... The uh, similarities strike me. I love that. You won't get that. <laughs> but by God's grace, we'll do our best. Two things I need to um, uh, fix in regard to last week. Uh, so we got done, and uh, my wife and I are walking out to the car. What do you think she said to me? You don't have to guess, because I'm going to tell you. 
She said, on the way to the car, she didn't even wait till we got in. <laughs> you know, we have been given plants that are alive today. <laughs> and she started naming people in this room who have given us a plant as a gift that is still alive. Now, she didn't say thriving, okay? It's still living. So I apologize if that was an over-exaggeration on my part. Uh, secondly, uh, I, I was exhausted last week. I did not sleep well Saturday night. Um, so we got home. We had lunch. Uh, I did a couple chores, you know, paid the bills, um, changed the sheets on the bed. And then I was done. My, my day was over. and I, I sat on the couch, and I started scrolling through uh, the news on my iPad. And I came across uh, an article in the New York Times that really troubled me. Ah. And it so struck me because of what we talked about last week. This is just a short two sentences from this article. It's an article from the New York Times dated August 5, 2018. That was last Sunday. By the way, the article was about a uh, pastor from a mega church who had been alleged to have uh, acted inappropriately uh, toward uh, women. In many evangelical churches, a magnetic pastor is the superstar on whom everything else rests, making accusations of harassment particularly difficult to confront. Such a pastor is seen as a conduit to Christ, giving sermons so mesmerizing that congregants rush to buy tapes of them after services. In many evangelical churches, a magnetic pastor is the superstar on whom everything else rests. We talked about that last week, didn't we? We talked about the pastor-centered church and the dangers of that. God has not called us to be a pastor-centered church. This here is the thought process of the world. That's what the world believes about the church. Sadly, that's what some megachurches believe about the church as well. The title of this series is The Christ-Centered Church. Because that is what we are called to be. Christ is our focal point. The pastor preaches Christ. And points everyone to Christ. May that be the case. Here at Grace, please. Uh, my name is Stephen Salvis. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the elders here. Uh, it has been my privilege for the past eight weeks to preach this series uh, from first Corinthians, we are uh, working our way through the first six chapters 
of uh, 1 Corinthians. We find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning, starting at verse 10. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 10. So if you would turn there, please. It's on page 953. If you're using the Bible under the seat in front of you, 953. Let's read, and then we'll pray. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. I'll be reading all the way through chapter 4. And verse 5, I'm confident we'll make it there today. The Bible says, According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not... That ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours, and ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Chapter 4, verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time, 
until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Let's pray together. The Spirit of God dwelleth in us. That's what your word says, Lord. That's what we just read. The Spirit of God dwelleth in us. Oh God, this morning, fill every crevice within us. Move in our hearts, in our minds. Speak, Lord, clearly from this book. Help us, please, as we examine ourselves Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for grace, church. Oh, how I thank you for your people. Bless us now, please. And again, speak, Lord. Speak in Jesus' name. As we begin, I want you to look back at verse 8 for a moment. I know we didn't read verse 8, but I want you to look back at verse 8 because if I recall correctly, I said last week that we would discuss that ending phrase in verse 8. That ending phrase says, And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. We'll talk about reward in a little bit. But it's important that you understand that word labor. You need to understand that now at the beginning of the message so that you understand what we're talking about here, what Paul is referencing. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about service. Labor is service. So verse 10 begins. As we talk about service, that's the focus. Verse 10 begins according to the grace of God, which is given unto me. That grace of God is referring to Paul's spiritual gift. It's referring to his calling as a missionary and a church planter. He refers to himself as a wise master builder in verse 10. The NIV translate that, translates that as an expert builder. Paul says he's an expert builder. And he has laid a foundation. God laid a foundation in Jesus Christ. Paul did the work here on earth to lay that foundation. 
There's no other foundation for the church than Jesus Christ, verse 11. He is our foundation. In verse 10, Paul continues, and he says this, And another buildeth thereon. That phrase is present tense. It's talking about right now. In this moment, when Paul is writing these words, right now another is building on the foundation that I, Paul, have laid. It's a specific reference to the current pastor at the church in Corinth. There's someone else preaching at Corinth now. Another is building on the foundation that Paul laid and that Apollos continued to build upon. And so Paul ends verse 10 by giving a warning to that current pastor. And to anyone who builds upon the foundation of Jesus Christ in ministry. And that warning is this. The end of verse 10. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Let every man take heed. Paul is saying, pay attention to how you build and what you are building on this foundation. Pay attention. Be careful. Know what you're doing. Why? Because the answer is in verse 11. Because there's only one foundation for the church. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. Let me pause just for a second. Remember, all of this harkens back to our theme, the Christ-centered church. Paul made a plea for unity in the church at Corinth. And he pointed to Jesus Christ as his focal point. In the mid-19th century, the mid-1800s, the bishop of the Church of South Africa caused a divide in the church there when he questioned the authority and authenticity of much of the Bible. In response, Samuel Stone, who was a priest in the Church of England, wrote a hymn in 1866, it's entitled, The Church's One Foundation. It's actually found in our own hymnal, uh, hymn number 277. You don't have to turn to that hymn, but tell me if this sounds familiar. own blood he bought her with Christ's own blood he bought the church for her life he died there are uh, in our hymnal hymn number 277 there are four stanzas Uh, there's actually six to this hymn 
there's a particular stanza that does not appear in our hymnal. Let me read these words to you. The church shall never perish. Her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those that hate her and false sons in her pale against the foe or traitor, she ever shall prevail. Because the foundation of Jesus Christ cannot, cannot be destroyed. It will prevail. Amen and praise the Lord. So the question is this. Based on the tools you've been given by God, those tools being your spiritual gifts, what materials are you using to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ? That's the question here today. Are you using the best materials available? Or are you using cheap materials? The materials are listed in verse 12. And they continue the thought of service in the context. Look down at verse 12 for me. Now if any man, now if any man build upon this foundation of Jesus Christ gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. Using this question here. What are you building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, Mr. Pastor Teacher? What are you building? What are you leaving behind? Paul identifies gold and silver and precious stones as, as service, as works that endure. The labor, the service of the pastor teacher must endure to the end. We want our work to endure. Gold, silver, and precious stones, they last. This is opposed to wood and hay and straw. Things that are temporary and valueless. Things that cannot withstand a rainstorm or strong wind or flood or fire or tribulation. And I'll continue with that thought in just a moment. But look down, please. Remember, we're trying to go verse by verse here. We're at verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. There is a day of judgment coming when the quality of your work will be judged by the Lord. Verse 13 is not talking about a question of salvation or individual deeds. It's still talking about service. And it's based on quality of service, not quantity. Or as I said last week, it's based on faithfulness. It's not based on success. 
So here's where Paul starts to identify three types of builder in the church. Three types of builder. The first is identified in verses 10 and 14. Look back at verse 10 and then we'll skip to 14. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Skip to verse 14. If any man's work abide, endures, which which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. So the first builder is the skillful or the wise or the expert builder who's leaving behind works, gold, silver, diamonds, sapphires, rubies, emeralds. These are things that endure. He's using his gifts faithfully. And his ministry, by God's grace, produces a result that is eternal. He's wise in his service. There's no fluff in his teaching. You hear me? There's no fluff in his teaching. He's investing in the lives of people with gold and silver coins and costly jewels, and it's paying eternal dividends. The second is the unskilled or the unwise worker. Look down at verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. This is the worker who leaves behind wood, hay, and straw. Works that will not endure. They're temporary. He himself is a Christian. But he's not faithful in the use of his gifts. And the results of his ministry are temporary, and they lack value. This unwise worker is investing in the lives of people with Chuck E. Cheese tokens. Although he himself will be saved, his work will burn up at the end of judgment, on the day of judgment. When a pastor uses his spiritual gift of preaching and teaching... He must be bringing his best. He must be investing in the lives of people with what is best. It's not about surviving a 45-minute sermon and getting it over with. It's not about entertaining people for 45 minutes. But it's about investing in the spiritual growth of God's people. The role of the pastor is to be faithful with his gifts. And building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, teaching the word, handling the word effectively and correctly, and then allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work. The results are not on the pastor. The faithfulness of the pastor in using his gifts is what's expected. I asked this question just a second ago. What are you building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, Mr. Pastor, Teacher? Let me ask you that same question, Mr. or Miss Sunday School Teacher. Or you, Mr. or Miss 
worship leader or a service host or a greeter. And the list could go on. You all have a stake in this. How are you using your gifts? What materials are you using to build Grace Church on the foundation of Jesus Christ? And are you bringing your best each week? By the way, there's a reward involved. Look back at verse 14 one more time. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. That reward is not identified, but it perhaps may be referenced in chapter 4. Turn to chapter 4, verse 5. Chapter 4 and verse 5. Say this. Paul wrote, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the, day, until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. If all I receive for my faithful service is praise from the Lord, is that not enough? The satisfaction of hearing well done is enough. Or it could be more. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing. Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and our joy. Paul says when he's finally in the presence of the Lord and sees those who are one to the Lord through his ministry, it'll be like a crown on his head, a crown of rejoicing. So, you, faithful worker at Grace Church, you will have a part in all of this. Along with Pastor Jeff and Pastor Bill and others who've gone before us, you will have a part in that crown. So be faithful in your service. Finally, there's a third type of builder. And I use that term builder in quotation marks here. Look at verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 17. says this, If any man defile or destroy the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. The third worker is the destroyer. This is a man who is not a Christian. He's not building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he's teaching false doctrine. And he's trying to gain glory for himself. And the Bible promises that he, this builder, will be destroyed. Look back at verse 16. Just a moment. Look at verse 16. Know ye not 
that ye are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? There are ten questions just like this in this letter. Ten that start with, don't you know? And he, Paul shares a truth. You should know this. Don't you know this here? Here in verse 16, Paul says, you're the temple of God. The Spirit of God dwelleth in you. He's referring to the church here, by the way. The church here. Later in chapter 6, he's referring to individual Christians. The individual Christian is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He says here in 3.16, the church is the temple of God. That's why so much care needs to be taken in the ministry. That's why we must remain faithful in the use of our gifts. Verses 18 through 20 are a warning to the pastor teacher. Look down at verse 18. I think I have time. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. It's a warning to the pastor teacher, and as we have applied it here, it's also a warning to the Sunday school teacher, to the small group leader, to the children's ministry worker, to the worship leader, to everyone in the body of Christ. It's a warning not to be deceived, but instead to evaluate your ministry and evaluate your faithfulness. Am I being faithful in the work of the ministry? Am I investing with the best of what I've been given? The wisdom of this world in verse 19 reflects the mind of Satan and its foolishness in God's sight, Paul writes. And then he quotes from the Old Testament to support his statement. In verse 19, he quotes from the book of Job, chapter 5, and verse 13. He, that is God, God, taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And in verse 20, from Psalm 94, 11, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. He's saying, avoid the wisdom of the world, because it leads to nothing leads to nothing. Verses 21 through 23 are a warning to the church. Look at verse 21. Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. The practice of boasting in men reflects their self-centeredness. As a matter of fact, as we, uh, as we shared last week, Paul described himself as a servant. 
So when he says in verse 21, all things are yours, he's saying that you do not belong to me. You are not of me. You're not of Apollos or of Peter. Instead, we as servants are part of you. We belong to you. And all of you belong to Christ. Not just that one faction that argues that they're of Christ. Everyone belongs to Christ, Paul says. It's a little slap at that faction. The first five verses of chapter 4 continue this. Okay, The chapter ends at verse 23, but these first five verses in chapter 4 continue the context and the thought. So let's continue there. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Paul says, all who minister for Jesus Christ are responsible to him. He emphasizes in verse 1 that he's a servant of Jesus Christ. And the word he uses for servant here stresses subordination. It's a different word than he used previously. I am subordinate to a master, Paul says, who is Jesus Christ. He also calls himself a steward of the mysteries of God. He's referring to those deep things of God that can only be known by illumination from the Holy Spirit. As we talked about back in chapter 2. As a steward, we must be found faithful. Those who minister, those who serve the Lord, must be found faithful as they use their spiritual gifts to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. In verses 3 through 5, Paul hits back at uh, the people who question his authority and judge his ministry. The message pretty much is this, do not judge me. We hear that a lot today. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Can I tell you something? He's not talking about sin. We are called to identify and confront sin. If there's sin in the pastor teacher, identify it and confront it. And usher him out if necessary. If there's false teaching, you better believe we need to judge that. We need to be Bereans. We need to know this book ourselves and hold the pastor teacher accountable. Paul's talking about faithfulness in these verses. Look down at verse 3. For me, and we'll close. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden mysteries of darkness. And will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. 
And then shall every man have praise of God. He's talking about faithfulness here. And it may be too that he's talking about results here. We are called to identify and confront sin. We're called to identify and confront false teaching. Paul says, don't judge my faithfulness. God gave me my spiritual gifts. He is the one who gifted me. So he will be the one who judges me in the use of those gifts. So it's not on you to question whether the pastor teacher is using his gifts to the best of his ability. Because maybe he is. You don't know the gifts. You didn't give them to him. So you can't judge them. Judge nothing, Paul wrote before the time. It's the results as well. Don't judge results. If I'm being faithful in the use of my gifts, if the pastor teacher is being faithful, don't judge the results. That's the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit will do that work. So don't judge on the basis of my use of the gifts. Here's the questions I want you to consider as we close. These are the questions I want you to chew on today. Am I being faithful in the work of the ministry? You say, I'm not a pastor. That's okay. That's okay. You're called to do the work of the ministry with the gifts you have, whatever those gifts are. And am I investing with the best of what God has entrusted to me? Am I investing with my best? It has been my deep privilege for seven of the past eight weeks to share from 1 Corinthians. Uh, For the next seven weeks, uh, I'll be taking a hiatus. Uh, Our uh, sermon schedule is full. Please, 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 for the next seven weeks, pray for Tim Remo. Tim was right there. Pray for Tim. He's uh, sharing next week. There he is. <laughs> Tim, welcome. We're going to be praying for you next week and through the week. Pray for Dennis in two weeks. He'll be preaching. Matt Duransky is on the schedule. Uh, Tom Gill is on the schedule. Jared Nicastro is on the schedule. Uh, Dave Vidham. Pray for these men. I will be back in October. I look forward to that. We will pick up where we left off in chapter 4, verse 6. We'll see how long it takes to finish. Let us pray, and we'll close. Courtney, would you start coming? Lord, we love you. And we thank you for loving us. And we thank you for your word. Oh, God, please. May we examine ourselves. Am I bringing my best? 
as an offering to you? Am I bringing my best and building on the foundation of Jesus Christ here at Grace Church? Am I building upon it things that will last, things that will be eternal? Grow us, Lord. Grow us in faith and in grace. May we reach our community for Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you.